United returned to action with consecutive wins and clean sheets against Burnley and Nottingham Forest, securing their place in the EFL Cup quarterfinal and moving one step closer towards the top four. On this week's Devils in the Details, we look into the two performances, but more importantly, what lies ahead in the second half of the season and what has changed since before the World Cup. Case, it's been way too long. How are you? I'm doing well, Aaron. I'm doing well. Have to say, I've enjoyed the uh, the post World Cup football. Uh, it's been coming, you know, thick and fast. But uh, United have played well, uh, and we're we're still moving forward into what should be a pretty soft uh, set of fixtures. So hopefully, they can keep on picking up points. And uh, looks like we're set up pretty pretty well for a potential cup run. So. Yeah, it's, it's it's all it's all looking up right now. What about you? I will I will say that yeah, the football's been good so far, and it's a really good chance to start to close in the gap on uh, on the top four. Um, and now's the time to pick up those points before going into those matches against Arsenal and City, where you don't know if if United win the next few, they could actually be pretty close in the table uh, to those teams. So uh, Burnley, let's maybe not spend too long on this one. They're obviously championship opposition. Uh, I think the gap was pretty clear between the two teams, but felt like a good performance. Nice routine win to get things going again. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I agree. The, the the gap was pretty noteworthy in terms of quality. Uh, Burnley really had trouble putting together spells of play where they had any amount of control. Um, uh, and, and ultimately, I think this is just a, a, an all-around Good, not excellent, but good out of possession performance uh, against a team that didn't really have the technical quality to exploit the few mistakes that we did made make. Um, and yeah, and it showed. And eventually, we got our goals. Um, I, I did think the first goal was uh, really, really nice and a really good example, sort of uh, for us to look forward to in terms of. Uh, breaking down a low block. This Burnley team aren't the old Burnley under Deitch, uh, but you do see for that first goal that United score in that match, uh, they're sitting in a low pressure, pretty narrow block, uh, and Bruno drops deep uh, beyond Burnley's first line of engagement, uh, picks up the ball under minimal pressure, and then plays a diagonal to Juan Basaka, who's actually making a very good run, and then he makes a very acrobatic play uh to cut it back for Ericsson for a tap-in. That's really how you have to play when teams sit deep on you. Uh, play around them. Exploit the fact that you're going to have minimal pressure on your your deeper uh, players. In this case, it was Bruno, who's not supposed to be a deeper player, but he made himself one. Um, and then create huge chances. Create those cutback opportunities, those tap-ins. So that's how you win games. And, and that's where the opener came from. Uh, very satisfying. Uh, this wasn't like an amazing performance, but uh, some really good elements. Yeah, I I really like the highlight of the first goal. Um, I it felt like a textbook Man City goal, like you said. Midfielder drops just out of the attacking midfield zone, plays the diagonal. There's a wide player making a run to receive and then make the cutback, and then there's you know a runner that's not actually the striker attacking the ball. 
Um, ideally, you might even have two or three players attacking that ball, right? You got that's exactly how City do it, where they have one, they load that zone, and then they have one guy who drops back, plays the pass, and then three or four players attack that zone immediately. Um, and that's how you have players like Sterling have scored so many goals over the years. Yeah, I think we're about to get into the Forest match in a little bit, but I do think we're starting to see better numbers in the box in these situations. Because you want really, ideally, at least three players uh, in central areas when you're in crossing situations. Um, for that Erickson goal against Burnley, you see two. And you, you but you, the positive thing is you do see like a depth dis, uh, difference. Erickson's hitting the uh, the six yard box, whereas Martial is sort of dropping off a little bit. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, in fact, I think that's a good thing. You don't want to see every player making the same run. Uh, you want to create options, stretch the defense, and uh, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more when we're talking about forwards. But I think we're starting to see players who, in the past, have struggled with that principle getting up to speed with it, which is really encouraging. Next topic we kind of had was uh, was Rashford playing on the right side here. Rashford has been great lately, and especially in the Forest match, I thought he was awesome. Um, but for the most part, he's been great playing left wing, and despite his sort of 60-yard run, uh, beating two men, and then making the ball just hit the bottom corner in a way he often does from the right side. I don't really think he was, for the most part, effective on that wing. I feel like he was struggling to beat players. I feel like he wasn't really uh, clicking into the team the same way he does on the left side, just not as comfortable with the angles, not as comfortable with the orientation where he receives the ball and runs forward. And I think that opens up a discussion of kind of like who actually is supposed to play this position when Anthony isn't fit. Garnacho was playing on the left, and in our discussion before the podcast, we both kind of implied that Garnacho maybe should play on the left for the better of his development. I also believe the same about Elanga. He should be playing left or centrally. So without Anthony, that kind of leaves United short of options. What do you think? A key part of this question is... Um... Sancho, right? We don't really know what's up with him right now. I have to say, I think a lot of people are taking Sancho stepping away as being a bad thing. To me, obviously you'd rather him be informed. Just I'll caveat this. Obviously you'd rather him be him be informed, playing for the side. But barring that, which he obviously isn't, I'm encouraged to see him stepping away and the coaching staff seemingly being very intentional and accepting of that. And honestly, I think Probably the coaching staff encouraged this. So yeah, that's one thing. The Sancho situation. Because if he comes back and he's anywhere near what he was at Dortmund, that sort of blows up the whole wing dynamics. Uh, Where does he play? He has to play somewhere. And I think he's definitely the second best suited to right wing out of the players we have. Sancho is not available, however. So amongst the other options, I personally still think Rashford is A, best suited, and B, the player I'd most want to see there. Like you said, the development issue, I really don't want to see us shoehorning young players into positions they don't play just for the sake of need. You can start talking about like, oh, encouraging versatility, things of that nature. But personally, I, I would much rather see a young player get bedded in, playing one position consistently, understanding it at a high level, getting comfortable with it at a professional level. And then if you want to develop versatility, which I'm not going to lie, I don't think versatility should necessarily be 
the priority for every every player that you have come through, especially the really talented ones, I think the focus should probably be more on making sure they wind up as impactful as they possibly can be. Um, so somebody like Garnacho, I really, it looks like he has the potential to be highly impactful. And I don't think the best way to, to go about realizing that highly impactful player is moving him around the front line. Uh, so I'd rather not see him at right wing. After Rashford, I think Alonga is probably the next person I'd want to see there. Yeah, what do you think? I pretty much agree. Sancho for sure. Um, Rashford, Alonga, Garnacho are all not suited to it. Um, so I guess I'll present two wildcard shouts. Number one would be Ericsson. Maybe try Ericsson there and, and play Fred on the, on uh, in deeper midfield. My concern with Ericsson would be his mobility. Um, I don't really think he has the legs to beat a man at all. Uh, but he would be more of like a static, uh, I would assume, high volume crossing kind of player from that position. So maybe that would be worth a shot. Uh, my other shout is, and this is more of like a long term one, uh, Ahmad. He seems to be doing quite well in the championship. Yeah, I feel like he's quite, I mean, at least compared to everyone else that we've just listed, quite similar to Anthony. Yeah, definitely agree. I would love to see Ahmad with United next season. I think it's likely, even though you could argue he probably needs another loan, especially since he broke into form more in the last like two, three months, as opposed to... He's still got another five, though. Right, he has another five. The other thing to note is that he's been playing centrally uh, for Sunderland, especially the latter half of this good run that he's been on. He might not have the pace, the burst, I should say, not the pace, the burst to stick in wide areas. Um, So in that case, maybe he's going to be an attacking midfielder. Uh, However, I agree with you. He's still quite similar to Anthony uh, in general, in in terms of how he plays from right wing. So I agree he's the next best thing after Anthony. And definitely a player to keep an eye on, because I think... I was really high on Ahmad. Uh, I think you were too uh, when we first got him. Uh, obviously, you know it's been three years now, two and a half, uh, and he's still not really made an impact at, at senior level. But I still think there's a really, really good player in there, uh, and we're starting to see it at Sunderland. He still hasn't had like superstar impact, which I think ideally is what you want to see in a championship player before they wind up in top half Premier League squad, ideally, a, uh, you know, a Champions League squad. Um, totally on the same page with page with you about him being the best suited for right wing. But what what about right now? Are you, are you saying Erickson right now? That would be your pick? Uh, I'm not necessarily saying that. I guess it depends on the match. Yeah. I'm, I'm personally, um, I guess after I, breaking... I wouldn't want to see Erickson there personally, but I, I just generally, I don't really like seeing midfielders shoehorned into wide areas. Uh, but that's a personal thing. Uh, that's a preference thing more than a, a real rule. Yeah, I I think I would pick Rashford in most games. Um, and then maybe Erickson in some games, depending on the nature of the opposition. One thing I like about it is, I think one discussion we were having before the World Cup break was how Erickson is integral to United's in-possession game because of his ability to progress from deep time his actions, receive and release in deeper areas better than United's other midfielders. But then on the other hand, Fred's mobility and his energy and 
pressing competency in general is a huge reason why United were able to dominate so many games in that period before the break. Um, so it would be an interesting, it, it would help in that sense, get both of them in the team, but I don't really think that solves the standing issue of when Anthony is out, there is a huge problem with United's structure in the final third. Um, because I think Anthony adds a lot. Yeah. I, th- I think this is actually a good, a good way for us to transition into the forest match because, um, I totally agree with you. I think Anthony has key, key structural effects on the attack from right wing. However, a lot of people really, really were upset with his performance against Forrest. They highlighted him as, you know, the, the main negative on what was otherwise a very positive performance. You're making a face here. Uh, so, well, well, yeah, what do you think about this? Yeah, he wasn't good in this game. Don't get me wrong. And honestly, you said this to me before I came to this conclusion myself, but because I, for context, I watched the game back. I didn't watch it live. Um, and basically, Anthony's shortcomings in this game were largely based off him not completing passes that he should have completed in transition situations. Like, I thought that was the main thing that differentiated Anthony's performance from a good performance and also missing a 1v1. And those are things that I would typically expect Anthony to do. Not only do, but do at an extremely highly effective level. Um, so given that it's his first full match back and it's not an issue in his game, typically, I think it's one that you kind of just chalk it down to, he just got back basically, and he's out of form, just an off game. I think the other issue is Anthony is kind of, he's grouped into a lovely group of United players who have moved for a highly eye watering fee and, I think unlike a player like Pogba, he's definitely not ready for that valuation, probably not going to be worth that valuation. And I think there are clear deficiencies in his game. Like, I think his 1v1 ability is good, but not elite, for instance. I have to say, I am beginning to worry about the 1v1 stuff. His burst played up a lot more, even in the Champions League, with Ajax. And yeah, I have to say, he really isn't beating anyone in the Premier League. Uh, and he's shying away from, you know, in a lot of cases, I think he's making good decisions and pulling back from 1v2s, but he's had 1v1s where he could have gone down the down the line and he hasn't. And early on, I, I was not reacting to this. I was trying to withhold judgment, but I, I do think the evidence is building up that he doesn't have that top-end burst. It's odd to me. I, I, most of my Anthony watching before this was in the Champions League, but to me, he looked like a really good dribbler in the Champions League. And and against good teams as well. So yeah. I think, I don't know. I think he's better than we're seeing. I don't think I agree. he's like Alan St. Maximin level no. dribbling like phenomenon, right? Um, yeah. And, and the other issues with him, I think the most talked about one is him not really having a right foot. It's annoying in some situations. I don't think it's as important as people think. His physicality is not great like I think he's easier to shove off the ball than I would like um so yeah there are issues in his game but those weren't the things that were coming up in this forest match yeah um and then in terms of Anthony in general since we're on this track I in concern for his game and reading some of the stuff I've been reading about him I went and looked into his numbers and like he's he's averaging 0.4 
non-penalty expected goal involvements per 90 so far this season in the Premier League, which is fine. It's not very good. It's not good. It's not I wouldn't I would not say it's good. Um it's he's a plus level shooter. He's 22 and it's his first season in the Premier League. And I also don't think Anthony's main impact on matches is we've talked about this before, not really his goal contributions. It's his ability to sort of isolate aspects of the opposition defense and force them to pay attention to him because of his ability to get really wide and then get the ball central really, really quickly or his ability to come in on one touch and then make a decisive action with the second touch. Um, Yeah. And so I think that's a solid foundation so far from Anthony to build from. Like, it's obviously not... If if this is the, the level of player we're getting, I think that's a problem at 100 million. And I think the player that we will eventually get is still a problem at 100 million. But I do think he has a foundation of a player who can be good for United and an effective player for a Champions League level team. Um, so I, I I think people are overreacting. I, I agree. I agree. I think there's no doubt he's, he's going to be, you know, a player who's good enough to be an effective Champions League player because he was one. Um but beyond that, I think the real thing that we haven't seen yet from him that you can expect will come in is right now his uh, his expected assists per 90 minutes in the Premier League is a, 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 an eye-wateringly poor 0.06 per 90 minutes. That's like awful. Even if he tried to, I don't think he could possibly maintain that. And, and I've got a few reasons for that. First of all, we really haven't seen him connect with his his crossing when he's cutting in. And he is a good crosser. Um, the thing about crossing, and I think I've said this on the podcast before, it's just a fickle beast. You have to do it a lot to really bear out your skill level. Um, and the second thing is we really haven't had good box uh, presence and occupation. Um, and I think that even, that even showed up in the Forest match. There was a point where he cut in. Played a basically played across expecting there to be somebody making the run, and he basically crossed to no one because nobody even like attempted to make the run. And you know, you can talk about how he probably should have picked up his head and looked, but honestly, somebody should have picked up their head and ran. Also, if you look at that situation, strikers make those runs, and there should have so been. You're saying somebody we should have signed Gakpo. <laughs> no, we can get to that later. Um, but, uh, yeah, ultimately I think we're going to see him creating chances from crosses, uh, as, especially as we get better with box occupation. I think we've been seeing progress in that area. The other thing is, and we did see progress on this again, though it's arguable how environmental this was getting a fullback on the overlap and the underlap for Anthony is totally going to change his viability in that space as a creator. A big thing that he used to do uh, in Champions League matches, so I'm, I'm not just talking about, you know, my experience watching a Farmers League. Um, what he used to do in European competition is he would get about, like, nine or ten yards from the byline, so, you know, halfway into the penalty box, right on the edge of the penalty box on the right side, and be be looking into the half spaces to play 
basically like horizontal balls and then make runs off of them. Um, and in this way, we'd sort of combine into the penalty area, often against like very organized blocks, and then get shots off or play cut cutbacks. And there really hasn't been any opportunity to do that. And the reason for that is we've got an attacking midfielder who likes to come deep. Fair enough. That's Bruno's game, and, and he's one of our best players. So you really can't complain about that. The other reason is Masraoui, who was uh, the right back uh, during his time uh, with Ajax, uh, loved to underlap and overlap, and he provided an option for, for Antony that he just doesn't have. Uh, and honestly, I think we saw a little bit of progress on this, even against Forrest with Juan Basaka, who is not a good attacking fullback. Um, so I think... Over time, we're going to see his creative game come through. And then like you highlighted, I think his, his goal scoring rate is probably going to be about what it is right now uh, going forward. Uh, I think you can expect like nine or ten goals from Anthony a season. Uh, he's got three already. They happen to come in his first three games. I'll bet you he scores a couple in the next you know, two months. I'll bet you he bags two or three more. I, he's never going to be super prolific, but you need the creative game to come through. Yeah, his... X A uh, in the Eredivisie is roughly zero point two five to zero point three per ninety um, across his three seasons, or rather his two seasons and then two nineties this season, um, which I think is pretty good ultimately. Uh, and right now it's at zero point zero six, just to yeah give you. I think what there. we can so. expect him his like expected numbers to settle at, and if you're not into the numbers, I apologize. Um, but where, where I think we can expect him to settle is like 0.3 expected goals and 0.2 expected assists per 90 in the Premier League. Um, and for a left-footed right winger, which is, you know, a profile that's hard to find, you're perfectly happy with that at United. Um, that's like probably top 10 in that role in Europe, I would say. Yeah, no, it is. It is. Um, yeah, which is not, which is not, it's not again, worth a hundred million, not yeah. what you expect when you pay a hundred million, but I'd say it's pretty good. And again, he is also a evidence suggests he is somewhat of a green shooter as well, which, which helps a little bit. Yeah. I think Anthony will be fine. I guess the question is how fine, but I think people are just getting a little bit carried away again because of a fee. Um, let's move on. Um, the forest game in general. This is a good performance. Um, nice to see United come back into the Premier League with their biggest win of the season. We've been talking a lot about how United's wins have been in mostly one-goal margins. Um, and this one was a really comfortable result against a team that I feel like they're going to get relegated. I also don't feel that they did enough in this match to stop United. Um, I was saying to Case before this, when... We talk about United this season. We're typically talking about the phases where the last five years of United we've felt have been undercoached in those phases. Um, in particular, how United build from the back, how United create against a settled defense, and how United press, um, in particular press in the final third. And Forrest, we're not really set up to test any of those things in a major way. So even though the performance was nice on a team level, I feel like there wasn't that much to talk about. They let De Gea play short without pressuring him. They let the wide areas get overloaded multiple times. Um, it is one thing I think, Case, you mentioned to me before. Um, and then there was, you know, they also 
they they didn't really like they didn't really block like usually when a team doesn't press they're sitting deep inviting you to build and doing that with the sort of trade-off that you're going to struggle more to create space in the final third because that's where they've concentrated their players but it didn't really feel difficult to play through them at any point either yeah so no pressure from the front uh which meant could very very easily De Gea could play the ball straight to the center backs. The center backs could carry, but basically got uncontested to the halfway line consistently. Um, and then at that point, even then, the center backs could typically uncontested pass straight to the midfielders, and then they could drive into space, which that's just bad defending. Like there's no way around it. You shouldn't just be either A, letting a team's defenders pass directly to their midfielders between the lines or B letting a team's defenders pass horizontally to their midfielders and letting the midfielders just drive into space unmarked. That's just a recipe for failure. And that's what Forrest were letting us do. However, uh, it goes beyond that because like you, you mentioned force were defending really narrow uh, and deep and then with minimal pressure. And so what that allowed us to do was bring the, the wingers Rashford and Anthony, a little bit more narrow than they've typically been this season and get the fullbacks high up the pitch, basically unmarked because Forrest's wingers weren't tracking back. Um, what this allowed us to do was basically just wreak havoc. Uh, we put up, I think, like almost two and a half expected goals in this match, which is one of our highest total totals of the season in the league. I think it might be our highest. Just overall, really good attacking performance. That said... We did benefit a little bit from uh, game state. Game state. Um, most of our big chances came after we were already 2-0 up. Uh, and the opener did come from a set piece. A really beautifully executed set piece, I might add. I really like that routine. I love seeing a score from corners because set pieces are absolutely just a normal part of the game. But it's good to keep in mind. Uh, we can just go out there and, and, and you know flatten them without any asterisks we did benefit from you know some some positive circumstance but totally deserved win forest played poorly but then we exploited their their poor play uh that's something united haven't done consistently for years so definitely something to be happy about a reason to walk around with a smile on your face perfect yeah i I don't know. I tweeted this. I think they're in grave danger. Um, Forrest. They, yeah, they recycled their template that got them up, and there, there were no, there weren't many signs of them being able to compete in this match halfway through the season, which is super worrying. And they're nineteenth. Um, it's not looking good. And yeah, I, I don't know. It's just one of those matches where you know. They allowed United into the game, and United responded with a number of really good individual performances over the sort of overall good team performance, I think. Yeah. I I will add one thing that I do think we can genuinely say, oh, that was United playing well, that we wouldn't have seen in previous seasons, was our coached structure meant that players were aware of where other players could be expected to be 
and they could make faster decisions based on those assumptions, which allowed us to play faster, which allowed us to create chances more regularly. Uh, a good a good litmus test for this is I think there are three separate really nice passing moves that United had in the first half where a player dummies a ball, uh, like a, a dummies a line-breaking pass, not just like any random pass. A dummies a line-breaking pass to somebody else uh, straight through Forrest's structure uh, that lets us play really quickly um, and create numerical advantages. Under Solstar, we saw dummy passes. Bruno loves doing it regardless, but the volume that it was occurring in, and then also the just the pace with which we were moving the ball, the decisiveness with which players were passing it, uh, is really a testament to the fact that some of the positional schema that we expect they're drilling, I think we can be almost certain they're drilling, are showing up on the field. Yeah, I do also think it's personnel. Um, I mean, the front six in this match were all technically proficient players, I think, especially compared to some of the players United have had over the last few years. Um, And I think further back in the team, you could see signs of a little bit of slowness. Um, One thing I always recalled watching Ten Hag's Ajax is the speed at which they moved the ball, especially across the back, was as if they were trying to move the ball around the back to increase the intensity of their play, as opposed to just circulating the ball. Like, they move it really, really quickly. And we weren't seeing that as much. Um, To a lesser extent, I think Varane is... A little bit loose in possession. Uh, we've talked about this a lot before. Uh, but the player who was new in the back line in this match compared to the matches before the break was Aaron Wambasaka. Um, Case, a lot of people had a very positive perception of Wambasaka's performance in this match. And I don't really agree. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, a big frustration. The two main frustrations with Wambasaka in possession uh, are A, he's kind of, he struggles with the mental side of build-up play, and B, he struggles with the technical side of build-up play and final third play. We weren't pressed in this match, so he really didn't have to deal with A, um, though it, I'll grant he, he was okay in, in the few moments when we did uh, see pressure. But as for final third play, his execution was really bad. Um, he, he made good runs. Uh, he's always made kind of fine runs. I, I would never say like the, the mental side of the game in the final third was like a problem for him. But he got in like multiple threatening crossing positions and really failed to put in a truly threatening ball. He found Rashford once, uh, sort of a lofted ball to the back post that Rashford took down, took too long to get a shot off, and then ultimately Malasia wound up shooting it early on in the match. That was really his only attacking contribution, despite the fact that... Attacking contribution is in, is in parentheses. He touched the ball in the final third a lot. He didn't really make impact, despite the fact that Forrest were playing really narrow and inviting him to make impact. Um, so yeah, obviously far from Wamasaka's worst performance... But I wouldn't confuse this with like a really good performance. He didn't make any of the passes that we see Dallow make regularly. He doesn't re- like he doesn't invert the same way that Dallow does. I don't know if that was a tactical tweak that was made specifically for this fixture or whether it was a personnel difference, i.e. the difference between Wamasaka and Dallow. And then 
Also, we were just really solid out of possession in this match, partially because Forrest just weren't suited to playing out. Uh, but what that meant is Wamasaka didn't really get caught in those awkward situations that he struggles with out of possession, where he has to exchange runners or um, make a, a judgment call in open space. Granted, he hasn't had the benefit of playing in this improved defensive structure that Dallow has, but I, I'm, I'm not convinced that this we really saw a change in the player that he is. He's 26 next year. Like he's not, he's not early in his career. I feel like it's just at that point where he doesn't have the technical ability to play the role, and he should be given the freedom to go play a role in a team where he does have the technical ability to play it, instead of us doing this thing where we pretend that he's playing well in games that suit him, and then when it gets a little bit more difficult, we blame him because he did something bad. On that note, Shaw. Uh, Shaw played center back. Shaw is an amazing technical footballer, and he showed it. He completed 99 passes and just blew everyone away. So is there anything else about Shaw? Like, I feel like he was just good. He wasn't tested defensively, and he tore them apart going forward. Yeah, I mean, that's what happens when you put one of the best attacking fullbacks in the world at center back and put them under no pressure. Like, he's going to chop you up. Yeah, okay. Well, obviously, when Lissandro's fit, Lissandro starts center back, Shaw starts left back. Lissandro's not fit. Is Shaw now the player to take that role? Yes, like like try it until it stops working because I really liked what we saw. I think definitely in matches where a team is good enough to put us under more pressure, you're going to see Shaw make more positional mistakes and like be less strong in duels than Lissandro, but like the bar is really high. Like Lissandro is really strong in physical duels. He doesn't make positional mistakes very often. Uh, but I think Shaw could actually make up for it a little bit because he's got good recovery pace. And he's taller than Lisandro by like a good amount. It's kind of funny to say. I think the angles that, that Shaw gets as a left-footed center back um, in this role are really, really good. He's also got great passing range. He can carry the ball better than most fullbacks, uh, better than most center backs. I mean, it's, he can also carry the ball better than most fullbacks, but in particular, he can carry the ball better than most center backs. There's a lot to like in possession, and we've got a run of games coming up where there's not going to be a lot of pressure on the ball for him. That said, I'm pretty sure Lisandro is expected to be back for Wolves, so we'll see. Uh, but I think this is good. It's good to know that this works. Yeah, one thing we've been talking about off air a little bit is how Ten Hag really likes to have a left-footed center back, um, and Lisandro is obviously obviously United's only left-footed center back, um, which I think gives Shaw a good chance of playing in this position for the remainder of this season when Lissandro is unavailable. We should we should note that Maguire was sick here and that uh, like publicly it was stated that had he not been sick, he would have played. I think Shaw played well, well enough that you don't need to stick to that. But yeah, this was also a match where he basically was totally untested except for like recovering loose balls. Let's go to a bit of a break, and then when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about the January window. Welcome back to Devils in the Details. Like Devils in the Details... 
Man United are broke going into the January window. So <laughs> we need to figure out how United are gonna deal with their with their future transfer activity. I was gonna go I was gonna get through that without breaking, but then K started laughing. <laughs> I think what they're going for is there aren't gonna be any big ticket signings. Looking at players like Gakpo, who is now going to Liverpool, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, looking at players like Victor Ossiman, who we've both talked about a lot. That was never happening at in January, though, so. right? Like, yeah, and that's where I was gonna go with this, right? Like in January, you don't tend to expect those types of signings, anyways. So I'm not really looking at this as like a massive deal breaker that United can't sign a multi-million, or should I say, a 30 million pound player in this window. Obviously, it's a problem if they're in financial trouble, but that that feels like a different conversation. So what I will say is, you said they're looking for a striker. Yeah. So striker's been a problem all season, not to mention Ronaldo, who typically, I think he's eaten up close to 1,000 minutes this season, Was has left. So that leaves a massive hole in the squad. And that hole needs to be filled because if Martial gets injured, United are without a striker. So you don't have much money. You're looking in the current market. You want to loan or low low cost sign a striker or an attacker. Where do you look? I mean, the one real link that exists right now, and I, I don't really understand this at all, uh, is that Atletico looking to loan out Felix and that they're looking for an 8 million euro loan fee uh, and that we're apparently interested. I love this idea, even if there's no buy option, because ultimately I think a player at his age generally, like, he's not, even if there's no buy option on the original deal, the the implicit suggestion is that there's going to be negotiations to buy in the summer. Or at least you get to like really hard pitch him on the project. Uh, also, I think Felix makes us a lot better. So, all of that in mind, I'd be really down for a Joao Felix loan. Uh, what do you, What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Okay. As time has gone on, I feel like the lines have blurred in my head of what we've talked about on this podcast and what we've talked about while recording this podcast, but it hasn't made it in. Uh, But one of the things we discussed a lot is that United need, at some point, elite attacking quality. Um, And right now they don't have it. And I look at a team like Arsenal, for example, who are currently in a title charge, and they don't have it. Um, And I think to some extent that could derail their title charge. Um, Felix, to me, is a potentially elite attacking player. He's he is really really good. He's super technically proficient, really good dribbler, really good passer, good creator, makes good decisions, good in tight spaces. He actually creates a pretty good amount of shots for himself. Um his xG numbers have been consistently good at Atleti, which is Atleti aren't really a high creating team, so for your numbers to be good at Atleti, you typically have to be a pretty good creator of shots. Um, and that is even more so the case given the fact that they haven't been that good in the last few seasons. So last season and a half, really season. Yeah. Since the start of last season. So I think 
Felix would be great. I think the main argument that I've seen against Felix is not about his quality, but the fact that he's not Ronaldo, very clearly, right? He's not that kind of... What Ronaldo was when he left is like a really... I mean, he's obviously poor, but like essentially a focal point striker who's going to be a box presence yeah, and across be target, the leading, I think it is, yeah. across target, the leading goal scorer. Felix isn't that guy. So I guess my question here would be, I, I'm personally very pro signing Felix and I think United can rebuild their attack around Felix if they need to, but how, how would they do that? How would Felix fit into United? United need that player. Uh, and I don't think they have that player in their squad right now. Marcus Rashford is the most informed attacker they have. I think his best outcome as a player still isn't quite that. Um, and, and he's probably the closest thing in terms of ceiling that you have in the squad. Anthony, we just paid $100 million for. Aaron and I agree he won't be that ever. Um, Bruno is our best attacking player. He's at his peak right now. I wouldn't call him world-class. I think he's a level below that. Um, I think his limitations as a dribbler prevent him from being that. Bruno is not going to be the best player on a Man United title-winning team. Uh, I think we can pretty confidently say Marcus Rashford won't be either. That leaves basically one spot uh, in the front four that you can improve. It's center-forward. You have Anthony Martial. I don't think Anthony Martial is going to make it there. I think we can say that very confidently now. So you need to get somebody who you think is going to wind up being one of the best players in the world at that position, or you need to replace one of the other three. Doesn't seem realistic to me. So it's got to be the center forward. You're right. Felix isn't a traditional center forward. He's far from it. He's the complete opposite. You probably have to accommodate him in really weird ways. Um, but I think, think you still do it and you figure it out afterwards because you need this player. And I think Felix is one of the few players in the world who could be that player. He hasn't really shown it consistently at Atleti, but I'm willing to play the fool and uh, give him the benefit of the doubt. Um because I think you need to take a chance on a player who could be that. So I, I feel like the current problem here is that we don't have a clear idea of how Felix fits in. So a loan would be nice to bet him in. But in the short term, you can't replace Rashford or Bruno or Martial or really Anthony. In the long term, I think that becomes a little bit grayer. And you could perhaps replace one of those players with Felix, who in this case is considered a player with a higher ceiling than all four of those players. So I think the part that you said that was interesting was kind of splitting into two, the set of elite players and the set of players who are in the position that United currently need to fill. The elite players set being Felix, because he's the only one available, and the set that United need to fill being a striker who can replicate the aspects of the game that make Martial undroppable. Eventually, that's what you want up front, whether it's Felix or whoever else. That's what you want to replace Martial up front. Right now, United need... They're in the low-budget market. They need to fill this void. So a guy like 
Aussie men, we said not available. So who do you get to fill that void? That, I won't say Ronaldo void. I'll say vacancy left by Ronaldo's departure where United need to replicate what Martial can do and ideally get more box threat. The only player who I think is an, like, I'll say arguably to be politically correct, but I think who, who I think is a arguably an upgrade on Martial, who will be available on loan, is Memphis. Um, yeah, I don't think uh, like I don't know that Memphis really inc- like very 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 good in hold up. He's a better creator than Martial is. He's a worse finisher, um, but pretty similar goal scoring movement. Uh, arguably slightly better, worse dribbler. So it's a bunch of trade offs, um, but it's another person who can play at a high level. Um, yeah, it's not a slam dunk though, because it's it's there is no slam dunk. There's no. Uh, tap in here uh, in terms of cheap options, which to be honest with you, that's another part of the reason I think like this discussion of United being allegedly completely broke and like there being no budget for a striker in the winter, I think is probably just not true. Like I think there's probably more money available than the press is letting on right now. And I think these reports are more in reaction to Gakpo than they are a reflection of the reality. I'll throw Saram into the hat. He's more like he does the stuff that Martial doesn't do. I'm not super confident he does the stuff that Martial does. Um, but it provides an interesting option across the front line. United are lacking depth. They need someone to eat up minutes. And it's a clearly imperfect scenario, so throwing his name in the hat. Um, before we end this off, let's talk about Gakpo. United were rumored to be pretty close to signing Gakpo before he signed for Liverpool. Or at least seemingly. Um, you were... I think pretty strongly of the opinion that Gakpo wasn't suited to United. I think I agree. I'm not convinced he's actually, I don't think he's in the Felix bracket, for instance. Um, So I'll let you talk about Gakpo first as someone who's way more familiar with him than I am. um, And then I'll add my piece. I think people wanted Gakpo uh, because the manager wanted him. And then also because they thought because of his frame, he could be a center forward. The thing about that is he is poor in hold-up play. He isn't as good at using his body uh, against physical defenders as you'd expect him to be, given that he's very tall. He's six foot two. Um, his goal-scoring movement is unpolished. He lacks the burst to beat players on the dribble uh, at a Premier League level. Uh so all of those are reasons that like I really wasn't that keen on us buying him. However, I won't lie, I've led with all of his weaknesses. He's a great ball striker. Uh, he's like an elite crosser, like probably one of the best crossers in world football. He's a really good finisher. Um, he's obviously got the frame and like the physical ability to adapt to play centrally, um, in which case he could be like a really, really good player. Um, he just would have been a weird addition to the squad. So I'm not really that upset that we're missing out on him. He's not a striker. Like right now, he's not a striker. Um, and 2022. Um, 
he's not a striker. He won't be a striker in June. He won't be a striker. Maybe he'll be a striker by a year after that. If Liverpool are really trying to make him one, which they won't be. I don't think he's going to wind up being like... I think it's really unlikely. I think there are two outcomes for him. Or, or there are two paths he could follow. He can keep on being a left winger. He will never be world-class as a left winger. He'll never be like top, top end player as a left winger. He'll be good. Liverpool got a good player. I think they overpaid for him. If that, if they just want to play him at left wing and let him cross the ball, he'll be a good player. There's another version of Gakpo that I think moves centrally, but not necessarily to striker, probably to attack midfield. Learns how to use his body in central areas. Gets better at picking up space in central areas. Becomes more of a box threat. And becomes one of the best players in the world. However, that takes two jumps. First, he has to move centrally, which is a huge risk. Because he really like, hasn't played at a high level centrally. And then B, he has to develop all of these new skills that he doesn't have right now. Um, and like, yeah. And so in the meantime, you're taking a huge risk with the money you've spent. I think it's really unlikely Liverpool pursues the option where they move him centrally. So I think they're just settling for him to be a left winger. And he'll be a fine left winger, like I've said, but I really don't think United are going to be kicking themselves about this down the road. Yeah. Yeah, so my two cents that I said I'd add is that even the two positions you described are, like you said, the two positions being occupied by United's two highest output attacking players. So Gakpo would immediately come in and have to displace one of them in all likelihood. Um, in terms of Liverpool, I feel like their current midfield outlook also means that if they were to move him centrally, they'd have to move him deeper or they'd have to entirely change their system, which is another problem that they have to deal with. Um, and in terms of buying for the future, I also think that a lot of the problems in his game that you described, the, he's not really a hold up guy, so he can't really play up front, doesn't have the burst to beat players on the dribble. You're looking to sort of capitalize on his ability to make plays and in in his case plays is using his amazing ball striking ability um in the half spaces and and in essentially crossing positions um a lot of that sounds like the problems united are currently having with sancho i feel like it is essentially throwing another player into the mix who could very easily have the same problems as sancho and adding another issue to the pile of these players who are good, we don't know if they have potential to be elite, and right now we can't get them to produce at the good level, which is why Rashford and Bruno are currently playing in those positions. So I just feel like United have a project like this already that they should focus on instead of going for another one. Think about Gakko, he's putting up these crazy numbers. Usage. His usage is off the Insane. charts. Like, he... Pace are extremely reliant on him to spam crosses. And, and like, I'm that's, like, you know, a FIFA term. But really, it's what he does. He crosses more than 10 times a game. And all of those crosses are overhead crosses. He's bombing the ball into the box. He's really, 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 really good at it. But he's, like... For, for context, his pass accuracy is 67%. And the reason for that is... He's crossing double digits every match. And he's connecting on, you know, three or four of them, maybe. 
and creating big chances when he does, but the game is going to change in the Premier League. He's also going to get the ball a lot less. It's just the way he's going to the way he plays is not going to he's not going to be putting up the numbers he's putting up in the Netherlands in England. Uh, like just for play a little thought experiment to make everybody feel better. <laughs> no. Where you read his XGM. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm about to go, to read some numbers to you guys. First of all, most important number, he's 23, he turns 24 May 7th, I think. Um, he's just not that young. So all that development that we were talking about, probably optimistic to think that he's just going to change positions and suddenly get really, really good at hold-up play, even though he's so big. Um, the other thing, this season in 12 and a half 90s, so that's 1,100 minutes, he has nine goals and 12 assists, which sounds insane because it is. However... Um, when you, uh, look more closely, he's got nine goals, but seven of them are, uh, only seven of them are non-penalty and he's also doubling his expected goals. He's got 4.7 non-penalty expected goals. So his strike rate, which is 0.72 per match, it's so three goals every four matches is probably going to be more like, probably should be something more like. 0.4, which is like two goals every five matches. I think that's probably higher than he's even going to manage in the Premier League where he's going to have a harder time finding chances. And then if you look at his assists, he's got 12 assists, but he's actually only produced 6.8 expected assists. And that's with really massive set-piece volume. He's like the best set-piece taker in Dutch football for that, that there's been for many, many years. And he's connecting at a really insanely high rate. So if you look at his expected goals per 90, expected assists per 90 is 0.54, which is like astronomically high, right? That's an assist every other match. However, if you look at what he's doing just from open play, if you look at just his open play expected goals assisted, he has um, 0.25 expected goals assisted. So more than half of his expected assists are coming from set pieces. These crazy astronomical numbers you're seeing are much more pedestrian when you just break it down to open play, which is he's not going to be Liverpool's designated penalty taker, and he's probably not going to be the designated set piece taker either because Trent will be. What you wind up with is like a very, very, very good uh, area divisie player, but not like a... He's not blowing the league out of the water in open play. And granted, I think he's a really, really good finisher, so he's probably going to be over his, over his expected goals. But when you look at these numbers, 0.33 open play expected goals per 90 and 0.25 open play expected assists per 90, that's comparable to what uh, Bukayo Saka is putting up for Arsenal in the Premier League right now. And that's what Gakpo is doing in the Netherlands. Gakpo's numbers are going to go down his expected numbers, not even just his raw numbers, his expected numbers are going to go down in the transition. So you can definitely expect him to be putting up notably lower numbers than Bukayo Saka is for Arsenal. And Saka's output, even though he's a really good player, his output is sub-elite. So they just paid £40 million plus bonuses for a player who's going to be sub-elite. And is also three years older than Saka for 
the sake of the comparison. So this is how I talk myself into not being upset about this. I hope I've convinced all of you to not be upset about this. So a case that is really clear. Anthony's a great crosser who needs a target. Gakpo is a great crosser who has a target. So United should sign Luke De Jong. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this week's Devils in the Details, and we'll be back soon. Hope you enjoyed this week's Devils in the Details. You can follow us at Devils ITD Pod on Twitter or on a variety of streaming platforms. Our awesome theme music was made by Jacob Connor. You can find at Jacob J. Connor on Twitter. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.